0: my name is Lucy, I am a member here at Jubilee Church and have been here for nine years with my husband and our two children. And I wonder if you have enjoyed this series through Mark, hasn't it been wonderful to get to know Jesus better, to understand what he was like, understand what he was doing and, and see the life that he led here on earth. It's prompted us to look to the Father and understand a bit more what the Father's like and what the Kingdom of God should look like here on earth. So it's been three years since the temptation of Jesus and he's packed a lot into his ministry years. And having looked at Jesus's life, today we'll look at his death. I warn you now this is going to be heavy and I trust that that is okay with you because I don't want to bring a word that is comforting and leaves us much the same but rather challenge us to leave him looking more like the Jesus we love. I hope you're with me. And the death of Jesus the end of this story is the whole reason that he came to earth all that has gone before is setting the scene for the last hours of his life but as many of you know and sorry for the spoiler if you don't this isn't the end of the story there's a new beginning which Sandeep is going to bring and share on Easter Sunday do not miss it so hopefully you've had a chance this week week to read through um, the story beforehand but I'm going to do a quick summary um, so we kind of understand the narrative before we go into some some depth. And don't worry if you have not had a chance to read it, I'll do it previously in March, um, Mark, catch up now. So um, last week Tim brought us brilliantly through um, Jesus in Gethsemane in the garden where he's betrayed by Judas. And Judas um, betrays him to the high priest's and the high priest, a group of high priests, is called the Sanhedrin. And they tried Jesus overnight in this really unfair trial. They had no no way of punishing him really or, or um, ordering his execution. So they sent him to Pilate. Pilate knew in his heart of hearts that Jesus was innocent um, and found any excuse he could not to um, sentence this man to death. So he sent him to Herod thinking, oh, he's a Galilean. Herod could deal with him. But Herod too sort of doesn't find any problem with Jesus, so sends him back to Pilate after mocking him. Pilate's wife comes up to him and says, look, have nothing to do with this. Um, She's had a dream. But Pilate gives in to the crowd and the pressure from the high priests. He offers them an exchange. You know, he can set one prisoner free at Passover, but they want Barabbas free, an insurrectionist and a murderer. They want him free, not Jesus. So Jesus is then handed over to the soldiers who mock him and cast lots for his clothes and he's led to be crucified. He's hung on the cross and then dies. A lot of um, what I'm gonna speak about is, is focusing on what we've been saved from. But I think it's important to start with a reminder of what we are saved into. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we have become family. It's not about bloodlines and the firstborn anymore. All of us are now part of God's family. With Jesus' death, the complex sacrificial system that was part of the Old Testament came to an end because Jesus took all sin upon himself. Now we can fully approach God because of what Jesus did for us. Those who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection can live eternally with God and escape the penalty that comes from sin. A restored relationship, a ransom paid, a stain removed, and the war against death is won. That is what we are saved into. And if you don't know that salvation today, you're here and you're like, who is this Jesus guy? I've missed Mark, I don't understand. Please find someone. Don't leave here without knowing the hope and the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And it's so good. And we often remind ourselves of what we're saved into. And that's really encouraging. But I think we mustn't forget what we are saved from. Because only by understanding what we are saved from do we understand the magnitude of grace. Um, so can I have the first slide, please? Doing my Chris Whitty impression. Um, does anyone know this picture? No okay i didn't either um, so um if anyone's read the cross of christ by john stott it's a great book but it is heavy theology and he speaks about this picture at the very start this is called the shadow of death and it's by um william holman hunt and you can see jesus there he's in his carpenter's workshop as a young man he's stretching up and yet behind him is the shadow of a of a cross essentially his arms outstretched and that shadow is almost like the foreshadowing of what is to come you know this is This is what Jesus' life led up to. And interestingly, you see his mother Mary there looking looking back and remembering what God has promised her about her son. And in that box, the gifts from the Magi, the gifts for a king. This is God's plan from the very beginning. And we see this multiple times in the Old Testament. This is prophesied um, multiple times in the Old Testament. And the next picture just demonstrates that. I don't know how well it's going to project. You get the idea. (laughs) So over here we've got all the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament and then their fulfilment in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? Everything that was prophesied about Jesus came true. And then we'll just um, flick to the next slide, which is about the ones mentioned in Mark. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but you can see wine and myrrh offered to Jesus from the Psalms. Lots cast for his clothes, also in the Psalms, and the insults and the mockery that Jesus faces was already predicted. Amos 8, talking about the darkness that overcame the land when Jesus died. And Isaiah 53, talking about him being numbered with the transgressors. And in the other Gospels, there's loads and loads more, but I'll leave you to go through that at your own time. And then Jesus even predicts his own death. He knows what's coming. We see that in Mark 8, 9, and 10, and it's in the other Gospels too. And we have the benefit of hindsight, don't we? We know that Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins, and he rose from the dead. But at the time, they only got a glimpse of that. No one quite understood fully what he was saying. This was God's plan all along. This isn't about humans taking control. This is fulfilling what God had ordained so long ago. And last week, we looked at Gethsemane, where Jesus was wrestling with God. Please, if there's anything you can do to take this cup from me, please take it from me. But he resolves and recognises to go ahead with the cross, because he knows it is the only way that his people are set free. Other ways that Jesus is in control. The exact donkey that he wants to go into Jerusalem is found. The upper room he wants is found. He knows his betrayer, predicting his death and resurrection. When he's praying to the Father, he knows what's coming because he's ushering a new kingdom. In his response to his accusers, Mark 14, I am the Christ, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Mark 15, in response to Pilate, Are you the King of the Jews? It is as you say. Peter explains this really well. He says, When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. There was no point in arguing. He knew ultimately that God would be the judge, that God would find him worthy to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the other thing, the timing of being at Passover. So if you don't know the story, perhaps pop back to Exodus 12, where it talks about the God's chosen people being saved from Egypt. And there's so many parallels there. You know, those people are saved by the blood of an innocent lamb that is worthy and blameless and no broken bones. But at 3 p.m., during the festival of Passover, it, that would be the very moment... That, Jesus, um, that Jews would be praying for redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the coming Messiah, and the resurrection of the dead. 3 p.m., the moment that Jesus died, the very answers to their prayer breathed his last at their hand. Jesus is in control. And perhaps you wonder where the devil is in all of this. You know, devil, perhaps he felt he had the upper hand because he overcomes Jesus. And the temptation of Jesus in the, in the desert, earlier in the book of Mark, um, we see that the devil left him for an opportune moment and actually he overcomes Ju- Judas. But little did the devil know that actually he was fulfilling God's purpose all along. God's plan fulfilled by Jesus for us. And you may be wondering, why did Jesus have to die? Surely if God is a good God, then he could just forgive us our sins. But God being good is also just. Sin cannot go unpunished. And in Romans 6, it talks about the wages of sin is death. If God just forgave us, that undermines his goodness. It undermines undermines his just nature. In the Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier, there was this complex system of sacrifice that just wasn't quite enough to get us in relationship with God. But Jesus, pure and blameless, was the only one to take on that substitution. Our sin on him, and we receive redemption. A price had to be paid. Jesus took on that suffering, the suffering that should be ours. He was subject to God's judgment and paid the ultimate price. For you, for me, for us all. And the suffering of Jesus is not insignificant. If you go through the Gospels, there's, there's real depth about that. Jesus was betrayed by one of his close friends. He had this unfair trial at night through the li- religious leaders. He was blindfolded, struck, as commanded by the religious leaders, prophesy, who hit you? He was ridiculed and mocked by Herod's priests, passers by and soldiers. And there's such irony in what they're saying. He saved, himself, he saved others. He can't save himself. He couldn't do both. He couldn't save himself and save us. He chose us. He chose you over himself. And the sign above him that Pilate placed there, this is the king of the Jews, was written in the three known languages at that time. The declaration to everyone. Actually, this is the king of the Jews. He was flogged as mentioned in Luke, and then handed over to a crowd that a week earlier had been shouting Hosanna to be crucified, a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp, made to carry his own cross, and the crucifixion was brutal. Jesus came into a Roman era, the Romans known for the worst possible torture. Jesus will have died by suffocation, his nails his nail-pierced hands and feet. He would breathe against them, against the, the, the splintered wood. He was crucified at the third hour, 9 a.m. Darkness came on the land at, at the sixth hour, 12 p.m., and he died at 3. 12 p.m., darkness overcomes the land. So Jesus is in darkness for three hours. A visual representation, nature testifying to the separation of Jesus from God. The separation that should be ours. The one who dwelled with God at the beginning of the world, who was there at creation, now separated from the Father. And I'm not just saying this for effect to shock you or or to spur us into guilt or shame, but sometimes we gloss over this. We see the cross as this finely crafted pendant on a chain round a neck or a beautifully carved cross in the centre of a church. The cross and crucifixion was brutal. Yes, he died, but he was killed at the hands of mankind. John Stott's book puts it like this. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Only the man who is prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. We need to talk about sin. We're really good about talking about grace. And as I was Googling some definitions, I was looking up sin and repentance. And there's a sharp drop in the use of sin and repentance as we come from the 1850s all the way down to the 2000s. It's a little uptick at the moment. But, you know, perhaps we're not as good about talking about sin and repentance. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it's finished, and that's something we're going to sing in a bit. But... We can't be flippant about sin. Sin is choosing to make ourselves God. Sin is a revolt against God, not just this regrettable lapse, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll try a bit better later, thank goodness for grace. It's so much more than that. It's a stepping away from what the kingdom of God values and what it should look like. Sin is apathy, allowing the world to have dominion over us, and it can be insidious. Sin can creep in. The regrettable lapse that becomes a habit, that becomes destructive. And when I was thinking about this, I, had, I had, saw this picture. If I have the next picture, thank you. So this would have started off as a seed, wouldn't it, under the ground? And as it grew, it grew roots, and the roots pushes up and destroys the tarmac. Sin can be like that for us. It starts as something really, really small, but then grows and grabs a hold of us. Romans twelve two says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking, or do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Yes, God has removed the penalty for sin, but we still live with the consequences of it. Just like when a criminal is convicted in our sort of a judicial system and spends their sentence, it doesn't remove the damage that the crime has done. This is not meant to be a guilt trip at all, but a recognition of the impact that sin has on us. Sin does not make you worthless. Someone might need to hear that. Sin does not make you worthless. If you're trapped in sin, that God is not calling you worthless at all. It just makes you lost and reliant on the Saviour. Jesus, when he died in John's Gospel, he says, it is finished. In the Greek, that word is tel- tetelestai. Tetelestai. Um, and that's in the perfect tense, and I'm just looking around to see if there's English teachers here. But, <laughs> um, and what that means is, the perfect tense is, so that action has been completed, but it's continuing in the present. So what it's saying is, it is finished, and will go on being finished. Your sin is dealt with and covered Jesus' death covered it all. The sin we've done, the sin that we are doing, and the sin that we are perhaps yet to do. This isn't a guilt trip. This is a recognition of what we are saved from. We spoke about what we're saved to, but this is what we are saved from. And that leads us to be motivated, to be all in for Jesus, who was all in for us at the cross. And the other word I mentioned that we perhaps don't talk about a lot is repentance. And some definitions I found expressing our sincere regret and remorse, which we only understand if we, only under- if we understand the sin and the, cro- and the cross. Another definition, regret for wrongs accompanied by a commitment to change. I don't know if you've got children or you've no children who say, sorry, sorry, <laughs> soz. <laughs> It's so much more than that. We know that when we come to Jesus, there is that one off repentance God, I am so sorry for all that I have done. But I choose the cross. I choose to believe in the sacrifice that you made. But there is this continuing act that Jesus talks about when he tells us to pray. Revelation 2, verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 1 John 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Repentance can break the hold that sin has on you. It allows God in. And it's almost like a weed killer for that tree that's growing through the pavement. Actually, it halts that. I think it's important to note as well what repentance is not. It is not a condition of salvation. We are justified or made right with God by faith and nothing, nothing else, once and for all. It's not a ritual or a tick-box exercise. It's not a trigger for guilt shame and condemnation. And repentance is not a working and striving in our own selves to make ourselves right with God. It is, however, a recognition of what we are saved from, as we've been talking about, sin and its penalty, which was death. A recognition of the process of God refining us and shaping us to be more like him. It's returning to the foot of the cross, recognising the, the price that Jesus paid for you and determining to walk closer in step with him. And I was thinking about this in in relation to work. I don't know if you have that table of shifting from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. And you've got to go through the conscious incompetence stage first. You've got to know where you're going wrong. And we only do that if we align ourselves with the Father and make time to understand his heart. How often when you pray are you repenting? Jesus says in his, uh, in his prayers, you know, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. It is an ongoing process, a way of shaping us to be more like Jesus. And I know I need to be more like him. I need to be shaped and moulded into his ways. So as we come to the end, a summary, thank you for sticking with me. Jesus' life led up to the cross. His death, and his resurrection. It was part of God's ultimate rescue plan from the very beginning. He is desperate to restore his relationship with you. Jesus willingly endured the cross and suffering that should have been ours, to be the only person spotless and blameless to make that substitution on our behalf. All your debts are paid for. Remember that perfect tense. It is finished and will continue being finished. Sin, it's still a problem. And for now, we live in a fallen world subject to the consequences of sin. And we've got to find that balance between understanding the weight of sin but the extravagance of grace, a grace that covers it all. This should all lead us to repentance rather than guilt and condemnation when we come to God. And when we repent and encounter the living God, we are changed into his likeness, bringing his kingdom here on earth. This is what you were made for. We're just going to enter a time of response. So if you could, closing your eyes would probably be really helpful, just getting us to focus perhaps on the cross. What will your response to the cross be today? maybe if you're suffering today it's just falling at the feet of the cross and letting the one who suffered all embrace you your hopes your fears he knows he died so that the ultimate comforter could draw close to you right now is your response to the cross like the soldiers that you're settling for remnants of jesus or are you captivated by the person Don't let Sundays just be enough for you. (coughs) There is life in all of its fullness, 24-7, every minute of your day. There is hope and joy. Don't miss it. Is your response going to be like Pilate? He knows Jesus is Lord, but he's failing to go fully in. He's failing to fully commit. Are there areas of your life where you are captured by the world that sin has a hold on you? Rachel came and brought, which is just so brilliant. Catch the eyes of Jesus today. Know that there is grace here today, a space to repent. Turn towards him, because with Christ, you can. There is a turnaround that can happen. Or is your response today like the priest, who chooses rules and law over grace, that you are trying to earn your own freedom? It is by faith you are saved, not through work. If you're trying through works who's saying the cross was not enough for me. Rest in the totality of the cross today. The cross was enough. Rest in that grace. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus says these words to Mary when her brother Lazarus has just died. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you suffered on my behalf. God, as we respond,